Today we're talking about music's 21st century transition into global accessibility and learning how a guy with a laptop can sound like a seven-nation army. That is Telekinetic. yourself. Hello again. I am Mitch. You are here and Ben Sharp is in Columbus, where he's been pumping out jams as a one-man band called Cloud Kicker for more than a decade. Intrinsically, music moves us, and not just our bodies and minds, but also our communities and cultures. Whether it's the Mississippi Blues Trail linking black heritage from Africa to abolition, or alt culture bubbling up in New York City to birth punk rock, music is made by geographic influence as much as it is instruments. So what happens when the means of production, distribution, and consumption all become virtual and scenes morph into aesthetics? That's the story of music over the past 15 years, and it also happens to be the story of Cloud Kicker. Let's find out more with our guest, Ben Sharp. Hey, how's it going, Ben? Good. Every time I have like a a guest on for whatever genre or, or sector that I'm talking about, I think I wonder how many of my audience picks up on my connection I'm making in my head around the theme of the pod. But yeah. to me, like what's really interesting about music and how it's progressed is as far as moving from you having to transport things and sounds and people and places to you being a, a great example and one of the earliest ones I know of creating this stuff in a, as close to a singular space as possible, that being like a room and a computer for the most part. Yeah. And that to me is just really interesting because of all the, all the stuff we'll probably end up getting into around the, the impacts of like how people create music, the influence that it has locally versus globally, all that other good stuff. But Oh boy. <laughs> pretty broad huh yeah sorry in advance yeah yeah open up your 101 uh, philosophy books to page <laughs> five okay it's funny you say that I, I i was a philosophy major oh really i didn't i didn't go all the way with it but i got up to like logic and then it lost me so I, <laughs> I did it i did it for a couple of years and then you know the idea of now philosophy is math i was like ah, i'm out yeah that's where i get off yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I hear you on that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we're talking about your background. I might as well get into it. Like what, what were the factors that kind of led you to decide like, okay, this, you know, one man band thing and, and in large part, one man band in a, in a digital realm is the way to go for me. I mean, I always, always enjoyed music and I had a passion for it. I uh, always wanted to make my own music, even when I was, I don't know, 10 nine, whenever I, I really just started getting turned on to, to music as a, you know, any kind of creative or, or emotional outlet, I was like, that'd be so cool to like do that myself. I remember I had one of those, you know, the toy story, like tape things with the smiley face and it has yeah. the, the little corded microphone. Yeah. Well, back, I started playing guitar when I was 10 and I remember I would like record stuff on there. I would 
just put a rubber band around the button on the microphone, you know, lay it up against the practice amp or whatever. Yeah. And just like record stuff that way. And so I guess I always, I've never really thought about it, but I, I guess I always just had that inclination that like the goal for me to play music wasn't like, I've never really been huge on, you know, playing stuff that other people play. I, I always just wanted to like create, make, make my own. Yeah. So that, you know, that led me into being in bands. I grew up in LA, no shortage of like bands to be in. I was in a few bands up through, you know, middle school, high school, all the way until 2007 when I moved away. And then before I moved out of LA, I was already starting to record stuff on my own. Mm-hmm. Cause the band thing, it was always like a compromise, you know, well, this is what I want to do, but right. you have to, you know, jive it with what three or four or five other people in the band want to do. And some bands do that really well. I mean, when I went on tour with Intronaut, I saw that, like that gave me a, a, a much different perspective on what a band could be. Cause honestly, it seemed at the time they were more like a, like a family or like a unit, hmm. you know? And I, I had never experienced that on my own. For me, it was always just like, I, it felt like really compromised. Yeah. Uh, you know, what the experience was. So moving away from LA, you know, having already kind of started experimenting with, you know, making my own stuff and then moving out of LA and not knowing anyone in Ohio, really just that was the thing of, uh, well, I guess if I want to keep doing this, it's just got to be all me. Mm. And then luckily at that time, it was right after I moved to Ohio in the end of 07, beginning of 08, that I found out about the company TuneTrack, uh, Superior Drummer, Easy Drummer, that yeah, likes yeah. a MIDI-based yeah. drum software. And that to me, you know, everything I'd been using before that was just really, you know, obviously electronic. So that was like a major step up in like the humanization of all the samples and everything like that and, and how high quality it was. And I, I to me, it was like, all right, this is like acceptable um, that right. this, I can I actually make things on my computer that sound like a real band. That was like the final uh, piece of the puzzle. So that's really when it, it really got in a high gear for me. Yeah. I was going to ask you what, if there were any kind of like technical epiphanies that, that led you to thinking you could really do it successfully. And that, that makes sense to me like easy drummer. Most of the folks will not be versed in that gear who are listening, mm-hmm. but yeah, that, that is the difference between, uh, I mean, actually like the, the Ben who does uh, the music for the show or provides music for the show, who's a good friend yeah. of mine. He's a one man band and has been for a long time, but a lot of his music does sound very electronic. It does sound, it's like, yeah, that's probably a guy doing it on yeah. his own, you know, and, and yours, uh, which I, I will play for people. Although uh-huh. I don't have the, I don't have the magic devices to let you listen in on that, but I'll, I'll that's okay. I, I've heard it before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I will play for people is, um, yeah. I mean, it's really like, if I didn't tell you, right. It's like, this is, this is wall of sound, heavy, heavy stuff. That's cool. That you assume is like five guys banging their heads as they're belting it out. So, so what else do you program? Just the drums? Do you do, you do guitar and bass? I do guitar and bass. Yeah. yeah. But you know, I, I play those. Yeah. The drums that's, there's program, but it takes so much time 
to do that. Yeah. You know, you kind of alluded to how you feel like it's a convincing representation of drums, which, you know, people are sending me stuff all the time. And by far, you know, as you know, the thing that gives it away is always the drums. So it's, uh, it's, it's an art in and of itself. And I, I'd venture to say that like the majority of the time I spend writing music goes into making the drums sound believable, at least to me. Yeah. That definitely resonates with me. I'm not a good drummer, but that is the instrument that I primarily play. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I ended up getting into electronic drums for a lot of the reasons that acoustic drums are so difficult to yeah. manage as part yeah. of being a musician. It's just like the most annoying, most cumbersome part of doing what traditional musicians do. And yeah, uh, yeah it's kind of funny that like when you throw all of that into a laptop, uh, the logistics get easier, but then you're competing with the opposite problem, which is like, well, it's a lot easier to make this instrument happen, but it's a lot less convincing now. So now I have to different problem on my hands now. Yeah. Yeah. You can always tell like when drums were made by a guitarist, you know, <laughs> it really, it's kind of ironic because you almost do have to at least have a working knowledge of how drums work, if not be a drummer yourself to yeah. just make it sound convincing. Yeah. So it's like, well, you, you kind of have to be halfway there anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, Cause the thing I find with guitarists is that largely they don't remember, they don't keep in mind that like you're still only working with four limbs. So there's like a limitation there. Right. And, uh, you, you know, you still have to work with like time and space. Yeah. I don't know. I, I wonder if maybe it's just as like, it's the more visceral of all of the, uh, instruments maybe possibly that people, people who maybe don't really know music yeah, can hear that and say like, that sounds unnatural. Whereas someone who's doing like, you know, some of these musicians out here, I have no idea whether they're just like doing the stuff electronically or, or not on guitar. It's like so amazing what they can do. Oh, yeah. Like Tozen Abasi and people like that. It's just like, I, are these guys actually playing this? I have no, like, it's just too incredible for me, but I buy it. It's like, however it gets played, like I, yeah. I buy that that's possible. But then you hear it when you hear stuff done on drums, sometimes you're like, uh, I don't know that a human would do that even if they could. <laughs> <laughs> it's just yeah. like. Just drums generally. I mean, drums are so fascinating to me. I've always thought you could have a a bad guitarist and a good drummer and still Mm -hmm. have a great band, but you cannot have a good guitarist and a bad drummer and have a good band. It's just not possible. I buy that. I'm a little biased, but yeah, I buy that. When we talk about the shifts between like recording a studio album, which I'm just going to take a stab at it as of like the seventies or eighties in the traditional sense would have been, you know, 20, 30, 40, $50,000, whatever to do. What do you think it cost you to, to make your first album? I was thinking about that. I mean, it, like I already had a guitar, so yeah. I would have had that anyway. I already had a computer. I would have had that anyway. So what did I have to buy? I had to buy like an audio interface. You, you, ha- you have to have one of those. Mm-hmm. And that was probably a couple hundred dollars, maybe. That's about it. Oh, I used, uh, at first I used like a... Um, one of those pod things, you know, you know, the little red, yeah, like ovular amp thing that was popular in the early 2000s. I Line used one of six or whatever. Yeah, they, right. Yeah. I used one of those. I bought some headphones, probably, probably these that I'm wearing. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll say less than $500, I want to say. Yeah. Crazy. Or maybe, fi- maybe 500. I'll peg it at that. Yeah. Mm, somewhere around two orders of magnitude 
lower cost to produce, which is like, I mean, and that shouldn't be surprising anyone, but again, the kind of the theme of the show is like, it's always worth continuing to point out how all this stuff converges. And and that's a good example where you're like, I would have had this stuff anyway. Yeah. It's just this, this one little iteration more, this one specific piece of equipment more that makes me go from like guy in a coffee shop who's working on a novel to guy who can put out a, a music album. It's like the means of production are increasingly just like sitting on two devices that you've got in your living room and you just yeah. need to push it a little bit further. Well, also back then, thank God for pirating because, you know, all the uh, plugins that I used, like all the Waves plugins and everything. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever paid for Waves plugins, but <laughs> I definitely didn't. Eh, it's I, I used all the uh, tools that were available to me at the time. Well, so you, you talked about making this, this move from LA to Ohio. Yeah. My question is basically about the conundrum of bypassing tradition. I mean, not that you did cause you played in bands and things like that, but kind of mm-hmm. bypassing the traditional old school approach to music, which does involve so much of place and movement, like mm-hmm. the scene that you grew up in who you get exposed to the people who you happen to be friends with or the guy who's like across the street, whose garage you can play in, like dictates so much of how you grow as a musician and what you get into, where you get into and where you're, where you're able to tour, who's able to drive a state over for a show and who's not kind of dictates all of your paths. And you, you're eschewing a lot of that in your approach. But I wonder like, Hey, if you've ever kind of caught flack from people for, being like, well, you're not a real musician if you're not doing all of the all of these trials and tribulations yeah. in the physical world. And then B, like what what you think of the notion that Cloud Kicker could be found just as easily by someone in China as it could be by someone down the street from you in, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh well, to the first question, I've never actually experienced anyone, you know, trying to like gatekeep me. I guess like you know, knowing people, I'm sure that maybe someone's out there with that inclination, but mm. I've never, I've never experienced anything like that. In fact, all the musicians that I tell, like how I do things are like, oh man, that's so much better than <laughs> like, that sounds so much easier, <laughs> you know, yeah. which it, it is. Another thing to keep in mind though, is that like, I never, you know, entertained the idea of this being like my primary focus. This was always like a hobby. Yeah. And it still is. So I, you know, I'm so the wrong guy to ask, how do you do this? How do you become big or whatever? You know, personally, like I would be miserable if I was trying to make a living off music and, you know, some people do that. They're just so good. You know, there's like studio musicians and, you know, whatever else where you're just like that, you know, malleable and, and skilled. I'm not. So I just, I never had any notion that like, that that would be me. So, you know, my approach is like, just make music, make it as good as you think you can. And then don't really bother with anything else. But I don't know that that's like a good piece of advice to give people. Yeah. Yeah. Don't try too hard. (laughs) I think that's great advice. I give that to people all the time. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it works out, I guess. The best advice that no one wants to hear is that like, well, you're just probably like nothing is probably going to happen. You know, you're just probably going to make some music and no one's ever going to listen to it. So exactly. unfortunately that's just the reality for most people. Yeah. Yeah. So, so do it in a way that you can actually enjoy it and be happy yeah. to, to watch. So have fun, yeah. have fun, be proud of what you make and just yeah. know that like, 
that's probably going to be the end of it, most likely, statistically. Yeah. Well, and you, I mean, again, you mentioned being a time capsule and you you are in an interesting way in, on that front too, in that like your trajectory as far as popularity and the growth of, you know, your catalog and everything mm-hmm. almost pretty much lines up perfectly with like Spotify, SoundCloud, Bandcamp, like those things coming into existence and growing. And it's like, if you were a 16 year old girl, you know, using Instagram, but 15 years ago, that's basically mm-hmm. you at mm-hmm. the precipice of like possibly becoming a millionaire or something like that, doing, doing this stuff indie, indie wise. That's a great point. That's a, a great point because like, I, not that I'm at the same level as Tosin, Animals as Leaders, uh, Periphery. Uh, you know, we did kind of, I guess, graduate all at this, we graduated into this environment yeah. all at the same time. And I was kind of like, you know, I think I was just kind of at the right place at the right time yeah. and the right age to take advantage of all of it. And, you know, just caught that wave of, of you know, people being into that kind of music. Uh, I just kind of went along for the ride. But you did it in a way that's like, and that's why I mentioned the time capsule piece, because to me, it, it's those days of like doing something cool, using new technology on the internet. Yeah. And that, and that's that. And now it's not, it's not about that anymore. It's like, yeah. Oh, there's this new technology on the internet. It's like, Oh, cool. Here's a how to video for growing your user base to X and making some number of dollars a month and blah, blah, blah. It's like that, that wasn't back happening back then. It was just like, Oh, this dude used the stuff and made something cool and everyone likes it. Great. Yeah. I guess you're right. Um, and I, I guess that to that degree, I don't really have any perspective on like what things are like now. The second part of your question was remind me. What's your take on the notion that in the way you you've created and produced this music, it's it's just as likely or maybe more so that someone in, you know, China could find out about you before somebody who lives down the block does, which would which would never happen in a traditional music scene. Right. Like you have to grow geographically until you really like get a big break. To me, there's no there's no way to look at that other than that. It's good. And I think that that genie is so far out of the bottle to even think about you know, the way it used to be is kind of pointless. Like that's just not the way things are anymore. Yeah. But the fact that I get emails from people in, I mean, you name it, I've probably gotten an email from somewhere there is actually astonishing to me. And I I hear about people, it's like, you're in Belarus. Like how the hell did you even hear about, you know, or, or, you know, name a place like Pago Pago or, you know, (laughs) just as an example, but it's like, I don't even know how you, I guess it's just the internet. You can hear about anything anywhere, but that's, it's still mind blowing to me. That's great. I I don't see why that would ever be considered negative. Do you know, like, have you ever had like an Ohio fan base, something that felt local or does that exist or? I don't even know if I did, if I would know. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I've had people from Ohio, like, like tell me that they're from Ohio. Yeah. In the same way that people from Florida tell me that they're from Florida. (laughs) I mean, honestly, the only way I would really know about that is when I went on tour. Which you've only done once, is that correct? Yeah, in 2014. Yeah, with Intronaut, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we did our first show in Columbus, and it was good. But, like, honestly, the biggest crowds were in New York and L.A. Right. Uh, yeah. It'd be interesting to look at if there's any way to, like, find out, you know, where the plurality of the traffic comes from in the U.S. Yeah. You've never got, so you've never gone to like a, a bar in Columbus and had someone be like, oh, there's Ben over there. Ben, get up, play a song with us, blah, 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 or anything like that. Or even got comp drinks for being, uh, just being one of the 
cool people in town or anything? <laughs> Maybe once or twice in Ohio. Yeah. But honestly, I feel like it could happen anywhere. Yeah. Like yeah. you said, there's a complete disconnect between like my geography and, and people listening because why would there be any correlation? Right. And you mentioned, and I, I know this from kind of researching you that this is, it's never been your job. It's never been your mm-hmm. source of income. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting that your job, I don't know if it still is, but you were a commercial pilot. Mm-hmm. It makes perfect sense as to why you wouldn't be trying to be a musician. Cause it's like, well, you're already touring basically. You're, you're already doing oh, the, yeah. the part that people hate doing about music, but you're, mm-hmm. you're probably getting paid more consistently <laughs> and better. Oh yeah. I mean, it, the music doesn't even come close. Yeah. If anyone ever did give you any, any flack, I keep using that word, which is kind of strange if you're a pilot, but um, if anyone ever did give any flack for not being a real like touring musician. I'd say, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not, but I do tour. <laughs> not even trying to act like I'm a real musician, you know? Yeah. What did, uh, well, well, speaking of that, I guess one question I'm kind of interested in, have you, have you heard any AI produced music? I don't know. Is that, uh, I guess not. Yeah. I didn't know that <laughs> maybe, was. Maybe a- you have and don't know. Yeah. No, it's, it's not at a phase yet where it's like you could accidentally hear it. You have to definitely be like, you have to go out and find it. A, yeah. It's like, Oh, Google made this. And it's like, Oh, okay. Interesting. Is it any good? Uh, I, you know, I think they're still in like experimentation phases of it to the point where they don't mind its awkwardness. And so uh-huh. they, they include lyrics a lot, which I think is, is like the most dead giveaway. Um, so it's like a, like a machine singing, like a uh, synth- yeah, synthesized well, voice. Yeah. They try to model, like there's one that kind of models, uh, Frank Sinatra, um, oh boy. and take it. I forget exactly how they do it, but like, it sounds like a, a like a crooner. It, it's, but it's more of a novelty at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're still learning. So I think it's just kind of like interesting stuff. The lyrics are usually pretty hilarious. But um, but musically, it's like, you know, if, if you didn't know the language or if they would stop putting in vocals, you'd be uh, like, okay. But it's just kind of curious because it is so much, well, as someone who did a lot in philosophy, there's just that very generic uh, ongoing question of like, you know, what is what is creativity if everyone is just getting influenced by everyone else over the, over the millennia, like mm-hmm. who is being creative and who is just piecing stuff together from other, other bits of art or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. But that, I mean, that, that is like, that's always been creativity. It's like, yeah. who is really original? I, I don't know. Yeah. If you want to go all the way back, it was probably like inspired by nature itself or, you know, altered states of mind or something. Yeah. You know, when you're a kid, you care a lot about like who's original and who's the best, right? Because you, know? yeah. you always want like the music you like to be the best and most original. And like this band is just objectively the greatest band in history. And I know because I like them. And, yeah, yeah. So my tastes are superior. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe not everyone suffered from that <laughs> initial uh, burst of egotism after hitting <laughs> adolescence. But who was you, who? Who was that band? Oh man. Um, I mean, this is a super embarrassing thing to say, but you know, we all have our burdens, but I definitely remember, I definitely remember being asked by an adult at one point when I was 13 or 14, like, what kind of music do you listen to? And just very arrogantly saying like, oh, I listen to like real music, you know, like Blink-182 and Limp Bizkit. <laughs> the real stuff. Just the worst. 
Yeah. Not that it's important what people think is the best, but you know, that are that argument of like originality and like who's biting off who. Yeah. Like I've never really bought that. That's inherently a bad thing. Well, that, that kind of gets to my hot take, which is, uh, a decreasingly cool sounding thing, (laughs) but, uh, especially in this sense, it's, it's usually like a straw man argument that I, Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like I could at least kind of riff on a little bit. In this case, mm-hmm. it's a to uh, surpass your embarrassing Blink-182 and Limp Bizkit uh, reference. This is oh, yeah. like what I thought art was in college when I was in art school, pseudo art yeah. school. And so I'm basically giving you my like credo as like a 19 year old, which I definitely don't believe now. But I, I'd like you to mm-hmm. kind of give your your perspective on it. The hot take is that the purest art comes from the artist who avoids the most exposure to the outside world. So like the best, not the best, but the purest artist is the one who's somehow just like born in a basement, never leaves the basement and somehow has access to some medium that they use to create something. And that's like the most pure art form. Yeah. So feel free to tell me why you think that sucks or, or what your perspective on that is. And just, I mean, to make it a little more, I guess, easy to discuss, like just the idea of, of exposure to things and, uh, and exposure to, to other art, um, as an influence on your own. And your point was that like, like as, as much individualism as possible is best. Yeah. And you achieve that by like, it's like the most pure expression of your own self is what you would have said was like the highest art basically. And and the way that you accomplish that is like by not being influenced by anything. Right. Which is totally possible. <laughs> I mean, so much art is from pain or, I mean, it's all, there's a lot of pain in art or like just really extremes of emotions. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you would, I don't know how you would experience those emotions if you never interacted with the world. Yeah. But largely I feel like to focus on that is kind of to miss the point. Yeah. And artists generally, they trend towards being insufferable. Mm. <laughs> you know, there's being an artist, which, you know, I don't really know if the individual has any say over like whether or not they are. Right. Or if that's just like an observable trait, there's being an artist and then there's like saying you're an artist. And we all know, like, because there's a currency in having that personality trait that there's all sorts of posers, like all the time in every generation, mm-hmm. you know, we all knew, we all knew the kids in school that were like actually cool. And then the ones that were just pretending to be cool, <laughs> the ones that were actually into good music. And then the ones that were pretending to be into good music because they saw how cool the ones that were actually into good music are. Like yeah. there's always going to be this contingent of people that are just like glomming onto whatever like cultural element they think has the most currency. So to separate the wheat from the chaff in the art world is like, sometimes it's, it's just excruciating it almost just makes me want to say like anyone that would self apply the title of artist is just like not worth. Yeah. De facto not, you know, with, with very rare exceptions. Cause it's just, it's almost just such a pretentious thing to say about yourself. Like right. well, you don't say that you do it. And then you let other people like observe what you've done. 
yeah. and then and they'll know whether or not you are an artist. No, it's that's and kind of getting back to the AI stuff is you know, when you see the reactions to that. There's just a lot of people saying like, "Oh, well, this will never be. This will never get to a point where it's art or whatever." It's like, I mean, someone could. I mean, it is art put now. This on a playlist and be like, "This is my music that I listen to." It's like yeah. it is. It is it then if that's what they do. Like they just mm-hmm. have to do that, and then then it is music. <laughs> and again, to your point, it's like, to what degree do you? credit drugs or a bad breakup or whatever for mm-hmm. someone's music or just like a good hike yeah. sometimes a good hike <laughs> will yeah. do it shit a good know? hike yeah well that actually reminds me uh, now that i think about it, it was my uh my mantra of uh those you know early college years i think was heavily influenced by which is an ironic way to say it these two kids who are in my class whose art i thought outright sucked mm-hmm. But then every once in a while they would do like shrooms together uh-huh. and their stuff would kick ass. And I just yeah. felt like. But that's almost, that's almost worse though. Right. Is the people that like, that are the drug artists. Yeah. Like, isn't that almost a little bit worse? Cause it's like, I don't know. There's something about drug people also where they can be their own special brand of insufferable. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if those people, if their art genuinely was better after having done drugs, then I guess that's cool. Yeah. I've, I've kind of come to grips with that over and for some of the reasons that you stated about just, you know, mm-hmm. the, the necessity of influence or external influence as part of art. Um, yeah. Because if you don't have any of that external influence, the likelihood that you even feel compelled to do anything seems low <laughs> in the same way with that, like kind of the same way as that, uh, the AI, art it's like you do need some kind of input to right, then be yeah. processed by your yourself and then be outputted as as art in mm-hmm. that way cool man well what do you have anything you want to plug i know you have, you have a fairly recent album out um i put an album last year that i did during the you know the 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 actual quarantine yeah it's called solitude it's still up you can buy that on vinyl yeah. um it's like it's the only one you can buy on vinyl thank you oh really okay yeah, it's, yeah. And I don't know, I have whatever's up on Bandcamp. I think I still have some shirts and pins. I don't know, go check it out. Band, uh, cloudkicker.bandcamp.com if you're interested. Yeah, that's the most recent one. I'm not working on anything uh, right now, but whenever I do, I'll put it up on Bandcamp. Yeah, I need to go get, maybe I should go get me a t-shirt. I think you should. We have some cool ones. All right, thanks. Well, I appreciate it, Ben. Uh, thanks for taking the time again. And, uh, it was really great to talk to someone who's been kind of like a weird, invisible, uh, musical influence to me for a a long period of time. (laughs) And I take the phrase weird, invisible musical influence as very high compliment. So thank you. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thanks again to Ben for riffing on this topic. Thanks to Ben Montgomery for the soundtrack. And thanks to you for listening, subscribing, and rating the podcast. Hot takes and hot guests are always welcome. Get in touch at Telekinetic Show on Twitter or telekineticshow.com. Take care.